All right, welcome to the Canes Insight Podcast brought to you by Caneswear. I am D Money Rolling Solo. Peter is flying the country on some important agent duty. Uh, we are back in the Miami Beach studios like old times. Um, you may hear my son running around in the background. He's very upset he has to go to baseball practice and not his grandma's house like his siblings. So if he's whining and I have to set him straight, I apologize. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Obviously, FSU week is a huge week. We're coming off a major win, uh, not just the Virginia win, but the sign or the commitment of Cormani McLean, the number two overall player in the country behind Arch Manning, number one corner in the country, number one player in Florida. Uh, just a massive, massive recruiting win and uh, an important win in the Coastal over Virginia, which was probably the ugliest game you'll ever see. Uh, so, you know, focusing on that one before we move on to FSU and, and to recruiting, it, it was ugly. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, a lot of people coming out of that game down on Jake Garcia, which is understandable. He did not play well. But offensively, when you look at the shots of the receivers, when you look at the separation they were getting from the defensive backs and just the general space of the offense, nothing was easy in that game. And it takes you back to the Lashley offense and how many just easy throws there were for receivers like D. Wiggins and Mark Pope who were really worse than what Miami has now. But you saw some easy, wide-open throws for those guys due to the pace and space of Rhett Lashley's offense. So when you think of that Virginia game, that was really the story to me, at least offensively, is just how hard everything was. And just the absence of those easy gimmies, those explosive plays, which came with regularity uh, under the past offensive coordinator. So you know, people say, well, Jake, you know, you're limited with Jake. But it's hard to untangle how much of it is the quarterback and how much is the scheme that he's fitting or not fitting into. And the best example is on the other sideline, Brendan Armstrong. Look at Brendan Armstrong's numbers last year, the quarterback for Virginia, the lefty. You're talking about over 4,000 yards, over 30 touchdowns. He was one of the most prolific players in the country last year. His offensive coordinator is now at Syracuse. And you see Syracuse's offense, and you see Virginia's offense, which is probably the worst in the country or among the worst in the country with the same quarterback and some of the same playmakers around him. So it shows you the impact that a scheme can have. This was a guy that went to the Manning camp in the offseason. People were talking about him as an NFL player, and he looked helpless against Miami on Saturday. So with respect to Jake, I would not write him off at this point. Certainly, there's no question that TVD is a starter of this team. I think those questions were answered. Uh, just more tools, more talented, uh, better production. But it really is a story about a scheme that is not clicking and not working. And people ask me all week, do you think there's going to be changes? If you ask me my opinion, my educated opinion, yes, I think there's going to be substantial changes uh, in the scheme. And I don't think we're going to see the same scheme next year. And I, you know, this is my opinion. I don't think we're going to see the same play caller next year. But for now, they need to get it together. They need to figure out what works, what doesn't, as they head into FSU week. Um, some positives from the Virginia game. I'll start with the with the with the defense. Obviously, no touchdown scored. Goal line stands. Um, just tr tremendous moments. Individual play was there. Effort was there. You know, Daryl Jackson, the number six. I knew he was going to be a tremendous run stopper. Just turned 19. Just a huge guy, six foot six, long arms, well over 300 pounds. You knew he was going to be able to stop the run and use his arms to 
to to really get into defenders, kind of like a Raquan Davis. I've used that comparison a bunch on this podcast the, from the Dolphins. But what I didn't expect was his ability to rush the passer and push the pocket, and then the effort. You saw against Virginia, he's running to the sidelines, making tackles, chasing down plays, uh, doing things that you just don't expect for a big man like that. I can't say enough about that player. I think he will be an NFL talent. Um, really, the play of the game to me was made by Tyreek Stevenson and DJ Ivy. Uh, number seven, the running back for, for Virginia, leaked out. Cordak uh, was able to find him, and he had green grass into the end zone for you know 60-plus yard touchdown. And he was ran down by Tyreek Stevenson and DJ Ivy. They did not give up on the play. They got him out of like the one-yard line, which led to the goal line stand, which was critical and ultimately the difference in this game. So I haven't seen a lot of talk about that play, but that's the kind of efforts that you want to see and that Mario Cristobal is trying to build with this team. Another positive, you know, Colby Young continues to make plays. Uh, I would force-feed him the ball more than he's getting it. Short passes to him are fine. Obviously, you want to go over the top and let him use his size to go and moss people and jump over, jump over them and high-point it. But he has more twitch and explosiveness than I think people expected. And you saw a little bit of that on, on, on some of the short passes on Saturday. And I think you could do more of that. Uh, Against FSU, even against athletes like that, he's capable with his size and his twitch of, of getting positive yards, and he has a physical temperament when he runs, which you like. So Colby Young continues to emerge. Um, just the offensive line in general, the running game, you saw Parrish go over 100 yards. I liked how the offensive line looked physically. You had Jalen Rivers at one guard spot, Ines Cooper at the other guard spot. Those are big, big boys. They would not look out of place on a George offensive line on an Alabama offensive line just from a size standpoint, over 6'5", over 320 pounds without being fat. Um, so those guys did a nice job. You saw an S. Cooper on the final drive really moving people, the final drive of regulation, uh, really moving people and creating holes for Parrish to drive down the field in what should have been a touchdown situation. But again, some of the lack of discipline that you've seen from this Miami team crept up. You had too many men on the field, moved back. He didn't ultimately score, had to kick the field goal and win in overtime. Uh, but the ability to impose your will on a defense, you saw flashes of that on that last drive. And I think from Mario's standpoint, um, that's part of the vision going forward. Uh, you saw a little bit of Jak uh, Jakari Brown also running the ball, some design plays. You were going to see a lot of that, or at least you're certainly going to see some of that against FSU this week. I think that's part of the playbook permanently with his explosiveness, his, his attitude, his energy that he brings to the team. Um, and, of course, he can go deep. He missed an, uh, an easy hitch route, which he can make. Uh, just got a little nervous. But I think you're not going to see the last of him throwing the ball, and certainly he's going to keep running it. Um, be interested to see down the road if he becomes that quarterback of the future. I know some people who are around Mario think that he wants a running quarterback, or he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't shy away from a running quarterback because he loves to run the ball. He loves to be physically imposing. And a guy like Jakari gives you that physicality along with the ability to be explosive. Um but really, even though that was a huge win, the win that got Miami fans really buzzing was the surprise commitment of Cormani McLean. If you listen to this podcast, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that within the next two weeks, you might see a name that would shock people and, and really get people excited. I did not know the name at the time, but I knew that there was something brewing in the next two weeks as that's what was told to me. Turned out to be Cormani, uh, number two overall player in the country. He has a rank overall of 99.7. If you look at 247 rankings historically, there are only eight or so corners that have that 99.7 ranking. If you go up and down the list, you have Ted Ginn, who ultimately played receiver but was a top 10 pick. You have Patrick Sertan, uh, two, 
who Miami wanted, went to Alabama, top 10 pick. You had uh, Derek Stingley, LSU, another top 10 pick. Patrick Peterson from Pompano Beach, another top 10 pick. Vernon Hargreaves went to Florida, the 11th pick of the draft. Eric Berry, who ended up at safety for Tennessee, top 10 pick. Uh, Kelly Ringo, who's now at Georgia, but is projected in the coming draft to be a top 10 pick. These are the players that have a ranking equivalent to Cormani McLean. I think the only one that really was a disappointment uh, was Amon Marshall, who went to, to USC and had injuries, but he was still a fourth-round pick, which from Miami standards is a pretty good corner. How many corners have we had drafted that high lately? Not that many. And if you look at the cornerback position at Miami, it really is the only position where Miami has not had that Hall of Fame caliber player. Quarterback, you know, Jim Kelly. Running back, you name it. Edgar and James, Frank Gore, a ton. Uh, wide receiver, Andre Johnson, Michael Irvin. Tight end, Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham. Uh, offensive line, Jim Otto. Defensive tackle, Warren Sapp, Cortez Kennedy. Uh, defensive end, Slash outside linebacker, Ted Hendricks. Middle linebacker, Ray Lewis. Safety, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor. Who's the corner in that category? Really can't think of one. Who's the Deion Sanders uh, of that group? There isn't one. It's historically been a position where, for some reason, Miami struggled to find that superstar player. Some of it's recruiting. You know, look back at some of the nastiest recruiting losses of the past 15 years. Uh, Patrick Peterson, who used to be Patrick Johnson. Signing with LSU after being a Miami commit, that one stung majorly. Uh, and he turned out to be a Hall of Fame caliber player that really could have changed a lot if he would have signed with Miami. Probably the biggest recruiting loss along with Dalvin Cook that I can remember. Um, you look at Chris Gamble, who was a two-way player at Dillard, ended up being a two-way player at Ohio State. He was the receiver on the famous pass interference that cost Miami the sixth national championship. What would happen if he would have stayed home in Miami? Ultimately became a first-round corner uh, for the Buckeyes. Um, Patrick Sertan, who we mentioned, and Tyson Campbell on American Heritage. Those guys lived up to the hype. First-round pick, top-10 pick, and, uh, and top of the second-round pick. Uh, Miami lost those. That's ultimately why I think Mike Rumpf is not the cornerback coach because Manny determined that he was losing too many recruiting battles. You saw uh, T-Rob come in and replace Rumpf to win those kind of battles. Didn't really happen with T-Rob, although he is a phenomenal recruiter. But here you have DVD beating his old mentor, T-Rob, uh, beating Coach Raymond at UF, two of the best cornerback recruiters, probably the two top cornerback recruiters in the country. Uh, DVD beat them both to land Cormani McLean and out of Lakeland, which is historically a Gator stronghold. That's where the Pouncey Twins are from. Uh, countless Gators. I think they signed seven guys at one point, like we did from Northwestern, that played on that 2008 championship team. That is a, that is a Gator stronghold. Miami was able to land probably the best talent to ever come out of that high school in Cormani McLean. Uh, you look at him as a player. It's funny. I was reading about Bill Belichick's rules of scouting cornerbacks. And he was talking about, you know, size and speed is terrific, but we need guys who have the feet and the footwork and the ability to transition backwards to forwards, whether playing zone, playing off, playing man. We need guys with instincts and we need guys with ball skills. And Bill Belichick emphasized ball skills. They need to be able to find the ball in the air. And if you look at New England's corners, they tend to fit that bill. They're smaller guys, maybe second or third rounders because, or fourth rounders or fifth rounders or undrafted like a Malcolm Butler because of size or speed, but they have the footwork, they have the instincts, and they have the ability to play the ball in the air. Cormani McLean gives you that. He's got 21-plus picks 
former wide receiver, uh, very instinctual, good and off, good in zone, good man, good, good, you know, good everywhere, really. But then the added part of it is he's six foot two, and he's one of the most explosive players in the country. I believe his broad jump was the top or amongst the top in this cornerback class nationally in terms of verified athleticism. And he hasn't even tested in a couple of years. So who knows where he's at now? So you have the size, you have the athleticism, you have the, the true cornerback skills and the awareness with the ball in the air and the ability to diagnose. He is the absolute total package. Also more physical than people think. Uh, he'll come up and hit you. I wouldn't say he's an elite tackler by any means, but he's not someone who's going to shy away from contact. Uh, and body-wise, he has this frame to add weight. I think the key with him is going to be maturity, physical and otherwise, just becoming more of that, you know, becoming more of a man, just getting bigger and stronger, more experience, getting out of Lakeland, getting into a system where there's consistency. I think transferring to the Lakeland program was great for him because he's in a championship program with a lot of discipline. Um, and he has a chance, if he puts it all together, I talked to a Miami person about him, and I said, what's the upside on this kid? And he said, first overall pick in the draft. And if you think that's outlandish, look at the guys I just listed, the top 10 picks that were ranked at a comparable level to Cormani McLean. So an absolute statement win in enemy territory and somebody who can start right away. And if you look at the positions where Miami's won really, really elite recruiting battles, I'm talking about top 50 players in the country, top 10 players in the country, Jaden Rashada, top 50 player, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, quarterback. Francis Malagoa, He's the number six overall player in the country, tackle. Cormani McLean, number two overall player in the country, cornerback. And if you look at team building, the positions where you really need to get elite guys, quarterback, left tackle, cornerback. Those are the positions that are key to the passing game. You might add wide receiver to that list lately, and you probably have pass rusher on that list. So if you're looking to where Miami might go going forward, Keep an eye on those two spots. They already have some talent there. They want to add more. We'll talk about it more in the bank segment a little later after we bring on Kribbe. But those two spots, you're going to see some big game hunting going on. And if you see those positions get filled with elite, elite guys, now you're looking at the true foundation of a championship team with the critical positions, the big ticket positions, quarterback, tackle, corner, wide receiver, and defensive end filled. So it's going to be an exciting close to the season. Um, and then obviously, look, it's FSU week. So we're going to be talking that with, with Kribbe. I don't want to bury the lead, but um, just such exciting stuff happening, recruiting. We had to jump into that. So take a little break and then bring on uh, the legend himself. People have been asking, who is Kribbe? What is Kribbe? Is Kribbe a real person? Gary Furman, who is Kribbe? Why does he keep beating me on scoops? We'll meet him after this. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canes wear still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old Ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, we are here with a very special guest. 
If you are on the canesinsight.com forums, and you should be with over 5 million posts, the number one Canes message board website on the planet, you know the name I'm about to bring on. This guy is an icon, a living legend. He has been breaking scoops, dropping news in a very uh, unique fashion for years now. Um, you know, whether it was coaching stuff, recruiting stuff. You know, I remember last week I woke up on Cormani's decision day, looked at my phone. I got a text from this man saying, Cormani Canes with a question mark. We exchanged some notes on some cryptic stuff we'd been receiving, and he was all over, just like he was with Francis Malgoa and a million other things. He is the one, the only Cribby. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm here at the Miami Beach Studios. I know you're up in uh, in Gainesville. How's that? Uh, how's that scenery? Oh, it's lovely, man. It's beautiful this time of year in Gainesville. Yeah, the the Waffle House is looking clean and crispy. Oh, I got IHOP. Got IHOP around the corner. So, uh, and we got us a Metro Diner. So we're moving up in the world. Get some chicken and waffles. <laughs> All right, man. So let's let's get into it. This is a huge week, obviously FSU week. Um, you know, you're a realistic dude. Anyone who's seen your post, um, you know what this team's about. Big underdogs playing FSU team that seems to be executing at a high level. Uh, how do you see this game? What are your feelings going into this one? I mean, if you look at everything realistically, <laughs> and you start looking at statistics, it's like you don't see much positive here. You know, you. You look at what we do bad and what they do well. In every statistic you look at, it's like not good. We're we're our defense is good against runs, so that's the one positive I see. They have a great running game. Mike Norvell's brought what he did at Memphis, and they look like they're trans transforming to what he ran there. You know, you got three different running backs over what three four hundred yards, um, three and four or five touchdowns between three of them. If you look at what we do well, we stop the run. I think we give up about a 112 a game. And then you look at what they do well, they're pretty balanced, but the running game is what makes it go. Mike Norvell, that's what he does. He spreads you out. He spreads you vertically and horizontally. Lots of motion. And you pretty much got to have gap integrity and keep your eyes where they belong, your assignment, or you'll get hit for a big play. And that's what they do. They're one of the top um, programs in the country with big plays, 20-yard plus. So if we leave an assignment, blow a coverage, it's going to be a home run. So um, that's the matchup I, I'm most concerned about is the offense of Florida State versus the Miami defense. Um, it's, it's, they are explosive, man. I mean, I know we like to hate on them on Canes and Sight, but, dude, they're, they're a good offense. They're a good, balanced offense. They're quite the enigma. Um, one minute, you know, they're going up and down the field and the next minute they look like garbage, but statistically they're almost 500 yards a game. Um, and the twos running and passing, they're a balanced offense. And I mean, Jordan Travis has improved, man. Um, and he, he his accuracy has improved on the deep ball. Yeah, I mean, it, it, statistically, it don't look like he improved. Actually, I think he went down a percentage point. Um, but he, his deep balls improved dramatically. They're more talented than they've been, but they're not like overwhelming talent. Um, it's really just a team that executes well on both sides of the ball, especially that running game, like you mentioned. Offensive line, the past few years, that's been Miami's trump card, is they could always dominate FSU's offensive line because they were barely FBS quality 
I mean, Miami had guys like Rousseau with the four sacks or Jalen Phillips, and it was a mismatch, and that really made the game's mismatches and pretty easy wins for Miami dating back to, two, you know, really 2017. Um, last year, weird circumstances with the coach and Miami making a lot of mistakes early on, uh, but overall, Miami's had the advantage up front. I'm not sure that that advantage is as profound this year, although Miami has a very good defensive line, still number one in sack percentage in the nation, number three in total sacks. FSU's offensive line is no longer the tomato cans uh, that they've been in the past. So that's really that's what I'm watching there is what happens with Miami's elite-level pass rush against FSU's improved uh, offensive line. FSU's not a team that's going to drop back and just scan the field. It's going to be, like you said, a lot of, a lot of motion, uh, a lot of predetermined reads for for Travis, and you know you really need to get him uncomfortable and get him on the ground and start letting that natural inaccuracy come back because when when he's comfortable like he's been this year, uh, he can throw. He does have a good arm, he's, even if he's not the most natural passer in the world. Coming out of Virginia game, poor performance on the offensive end. A lot of discussion about Coach Gaddis, the offensive scheme, the lack of production in general. What are your thoughts on the offense heading into this important week? Well, when we showed against Virginia, we pretty much went back to what we had been doing earlier in the year. It seemed like we had more condensed, playing more inside the hashes. Um, and maybe that explains why our run game was a little better. It, was, it wasn't it was atrocious. It was just bad. Um, so I, I don't think that put Garcia in the best position. He, he looked uncomfortable the whole game. Um he he looked like he was thinking when he would leave the pocket. I noticed he he didn't keep his head downfield. He wasn't looking downfield. Um, so I don't think he was put in the best position um, schematically. Um, but uh, I, I wish we would have went more what we've been doing the last few weeks, a little more out to the hashes, um, a little more quick game, quicker throws to the flats. Um, but it seemed like they wanted to revert back since there was a change. I guess they figured things would improve with. Uh, and as being added to the lineup, which he did, he did make a dramatic difference in the run game, but it's it's just still it's still too condensed for uh, the amount of athletes. We don't have enough athletes to create separation when you're that condensed. Yeah, you know, it was you would see some of the some of the replays, and you look where the receivers were when they when they'd go at the high angle, and it looked like they were doing like a freestyle battle in the middle of the field. You know, they were all like huddled together. Uh, there was just no no separation from the corners, but also really from each other. No uh, separation. The, the space was non-existent. So this is a huge weekend, not only in the field but in recruiting. Ton of visitors. Um, we've we've let out a couple on canesinsight.com as far as confirmed visitors. Uh, you and I know there's a couple more that will be surprises. Um, that people get excited about once they land and make it on make it on campus and into the stadium. So, where do you see recruiting right now? Obviously, a huge commit from Cormani McLean out of Polk County, uh, a pretty good class already in the boat. How do you see these next few months shaking out? Because I know you've got your finger on the pulse of what's going on. At this point, it's pretty much adding the whole left. You got eight spots left around there. Um, Obviously, you need another corner, maybe two, uh, multiple safeties, I would probably say, um, probably another two, three D linemen. Um, so it's pretty much about filling the spots, chasing the big fishes out there, the five stars that you're, you know, you're, you're pushing for. Um, you know, when you're dealing with five stars committed elsewhere, especially, you know that, you know, you got to be realistic with it. But 
they're not taking no for an answer. And there's these guys would be huge additions and legitimately are in play um, for Miami. It's just a matter of us running out of time. Yeah, and you said, you know, when we were talking, you said some of the names that I'm hearing, I, I refuse to even believe. It's funny, though, because I remember with Francis Malgoa, you were hearing he was coming, and we were texting back and forth. You know, the people I was talking to were saying, it's it's set up, he's coming. And I couldn't believe that a guy from Samoa was coming to Miami at that level. It just it, Historically, it just made no sense. Uh, and El Cormani, same thing. You texted me first thing in the morning. And I was getting weird texts that made that breadcrumbs kind of add up, but it, you couldn't believe that somebody from Lakeland would come to Miami at that caliber. Just it hadn't happened historically. Um, so with some of the names we're hearing, maybe it's time for us to change our attitude about what Miami can do with these battles. And when we hear a name like some of these five-star names, I mean, we, we could say some of them. I mean, look, Brandon Innes, you know. Damon Wilson, I think he's a five-star. At least he's viewed internally as a five-star. Guys that are being targeted as we may not be winning the battle right now, but we're going to keep on pushing. You know, certainly Nicholas Harbor is a huge target. Um, you give the staff a little more credit, right, than you, than the previous staff because they've shown they could win battles like a Skinner or a Citizen or a Cormani or a Francis. Um, they've proven that, right? Yeah, we've, we're abused wives. Um, it's been 20 years of losing these battles. So you go in expecting, you know, even with Malagoa, uh, I had multiple, I guess you would call it, sources. Um, and I didn't believe it until I know somebody that's a seven-on-seven -seven coach close to um, Tennessee. And he, I told him, I was like, I heard Malagoa is coming to Miami. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. And an hour later, he comes back with, they, they think he's going to Miami. And the whole time, he was laughing at Miami. And, like, that's not realistic. He's going to Tennessee. It's been a done deal. And But leading up to it, you have your doubts. When I put the crystal ball in for Malagoa, I, I was nervous as hell. When he pulled that Miami hat up, I was like, whew, had a big relief. Because when you hang him out there, <laughs> you're nervous, even though multiple people had assured me that he was coming to Miami. And it came from the Miami side. The Tennessee side, even McLean, the Lakeland side, you know, they they notified me. And I, I was like, had doubts because it is a Lakeland kid. But when you start having multiple people um, giving you the same information, it makes you feel a lot safer. And that happened in both cases, even though I still have my doubts deep down. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of those threads in the months to come. Again, if you want to keep up with – the absolute latest before it becomes mainstream news. Follow Cribby, canesinsight.com, the forums. There's the most active forums on the net, 5 million posts. Things happen in real time, and you read about it right away. You don't got to wait. Check it out. It's going to be an exciting two months. Just like It's going to make last year, which was really exciting, look boring with the names that we're talking about. So, Cribby, man, appreciate everything you do for the site. Uh, appreciate you blessing us i know people think you're not a real person so to hear your voice is going to shock a lot of people that you're an actual human being um but uh really glad we get you on man and uh really appreciate having you around the boards no problem man all right take it easy all right so kane's insight biggest kane's community on the net five million posts hundreds of thousands of users so if we don't use the community we're crazy so we've been asking for your voice notes your questions and uh, you guys delivered. So 
Uh, we're going to start with a couple uh, takes on the FSU game coming up, starting with uh, you may, a man you may know if you eat seafood in Miami, finest stone crabs in the city, Champy from Champy Seafood. What do you got for us? Philly Incognito here. It's Florida State week. Usually I'm a nice guy, but this week has me riled up. I see the Canes bullying Florida State like I bullied Pete to leave the group chat. Last week was a little tough to watch with the way the offense was looking, but I got my mind right. I looked up some old school Canes baseball games just to see Javi Salas on the mound so I can see what it felt like to see some team score some runs. I'll be watching the game, eating champion seafood, some stone crabs, some fish dip, the best in the game. And I foresee a 42-21 win. Go Canes. All right, so a little uh, group chat violence there, Pete. I mean, he left. He did leave the group chat, and he's nowhere to be found now. So it was a, a tough beating from from Philly last week. Uh, but you know that score, man. If we score forty two points in this game, Miami's in pretty good shape. Um, I think it needs to be a game like that where Miami is putting up points, whether it's through turnovers, uh, just big plays that you don't expect. I, I don't see Miami winning a grinded out game here because they're not executing at the level that Florida State is. They don't have the experience in the system, and their system is not clicking in the way that FSU's is clicking on offense. Even though the talent differential on offense, even with Miami's injuries, is not that wide. FSU does not have that many great players. Uh, they got, you know, they have a couple good big receivers, but Miami's got Colby Young, who's playing at a high level too. Uh, Miami's got a, got talented quarterback as well. The problem is, this is a team that is executing and, and knows what they're doing three years into a system with some growing pains. Miami's kind of going through that the first time. So Miami gets in the 40s. I think they got a really good shot to win, uh, but that's going to be a tall order. All right, now we got one from uh, from Bobby Salad. What do we got? I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be the best weekend of the year right here. Miami's going to beat the shit out of Florida State on Saturday. Now, everybody's talking about Florida State being back. Florida State this, Florida State that. Mike Norvell this, Mike Norvell that. Mike Norvell's freaking five and three jumping around like the damn Keebler elf when you get a first down. I tell you what, Derek Brooks ain't walking through that door. Peter Warwick ain't walking through that door. Charlie Ward ain't walking through that door. Get the hell out of here with that disrespect of a 10-point favorite on the road, Florida State, pissing me off. I got all my buddies sending me photos of Duke. Stay dope, Campbell Stadium. Everybody doing the chop. I sent him a picture of the freaking beach. 100 yards from my apartment. I said, hey, guys, go enjoy that ride home. Try and get some time on the Hubble telescope to get a view of the beach from Tallahassee. Pissing me the hell off, man. Nothing quite like Florida State weekend. I got this prediction. Miami wins big. We're going to beat the shit out of them. And life's going to go right back to normal. Mario Cristobal is the guy. You know, we've gotten off to a little bit of a rough start. But that's no problem. I tell you what, man, we're going to build this thing the right way, and that starts by beating the shit out of Florida State. Go Canes. Miami Beach, and I don't hear too many Southern accents, so I wonder where, where this dude is at. But, uh, yeah, listen, if you want to build it the right way, you start with a big win like this. I think back to Jim Trestle's first year at Ohio State. I believe they were about our record, you know, 500. Uh, but they beat Michigan in an upset, and that sort of propelled them to be what ultimately beat Miami in that controversial Fiesta Bowl and became a really a two-decade dynasty or at least two-decade of a powerhouse program that continues to this day. Um, that Michigan game stands out. Miami needs a signature win this year. Recruiting is important, and the record's not so important. 
but you do need a win that shows what's possible. And this would be an absolute perfect week for that kind of win against a Florida State team that, look, is not that great. They're playing very well. They are a good team. But this is not Jameis Winston, Florida State. You know, this is not Dalvin Cook, Xavier Rhodes, you know, Jalen Ramsey, premier talents. These are average dudes that are playing well in the system. Deserve to be favorites. Probably deserve to be nine-point favorites based on what both teams have put on film this year. But they're not, you know, a powerhouse. And it's certainly a winnable game for Miami. And Miami needs to come out with an aggressive mentality, nothing to lose, and really playing physical. Because they do have the physical talent to win this game. They just need to cut down on the mistakes. They need to make the plays that are there to be made. And offensively, we need to see something different than we saw last week because you got to score points to beat these guys. Uh, but it's possible. And we can't be treating this FSU team, this three-loss FSU team, like some kind of powerhouse. They've been below 500 for quite a long time, uh, several years consecutively. So, you know, give them respect for how they're playing right now, but uh, this should not be a team that's feared. Miami can win this game, and if they do, uh, it'll really start the crystal ball area in earnest outside of recruiting on the field. It would start with a win over Florida state. So, you know, obviously we got Collins. We also have questions from the Canes insight forums and Canes insight, social media. Remember to like, follow, subscribe this podcast, Canes insight at Instagram. We got Facebook Canes insight, Twitter Canes insight, TikTok. a lot of ways to follow us. And of course the forums being the busiest and most popular canesinsight.com. So with all that said, let's see what we got uh, in terms of questions. All right, Gandhi wants to know, why did Gaddis regrets back to the offense that started the season with when Garcia was QB1? I think he'd probably say it was because of the fear of turnovers. Eight turnovers the week before, you're playing a Virginia team with a horrible offense. You do not want to turn the ball over. You're on the road. Quarterback making his first start. You want to play conservative, squeeze it out, and win ugly like they did. That's the story. Um, do I agree with that? Absolutely not. And was that conservative offense executed properly? Didn't look like it. Again, nothing was easy. You had uh, routes all jumbled together, no space whatsoever, and um, not a lot to make your quarterback comfortable. You'd like to make your quarterback comfortable with some layups just to get going and get in rhythm. You didn't really see that uh, on Saturday. So I can tell you what I think the rationale was, uh, but I don't agree with it. Ultimately, the results are what they are, and it was a, a very, very poor offensive performance. And I'm not surprised why so many questions are about Josh Gaddis. All right, what else we got here? Timmy Teabag wants to know, if when Satterfield gets fired at Louisville, would Mario kick the tires on bringing him in as OC, given they have worked together before, or will he promote Frank Potts as OC? Ironically, you know, Potts from Appalachia State, uh, Satterfield also from there, so very similar they're basically from the same tree as far as offensive scheme. Both those guys, Satterfield worked for Cristobal's offensive coordinator at FIU. Um, it's interesting. I don't. I heard Satterfield's not really a big city guy. Louisville's a, a, a decently big city, but Satterfield's not someone who, who's what you call a Miami guy, even though he worked here earlier in his career. Maybe now he's got more options. He wouldn't come back to the city of Miami. I, I don't know that. Um, he's kind of a rural North Carolina dude. But as far as fit, I liked his offense. I still like his offense. They put up 48-something points on Wake Forest this week. Um, I'm a fan of what Louisville does offensively, what Appalachian State does offensively. And if Jakari Brown is a starting quarterback next year, which I'm not saying will happen. I mean, hopefully it's TVD, but who knows what happens with quarterbacks. You just really can't predict it. 
uh, he would fit like a glove, do what Malik Cunningham does now. He's probably better than Malik Cunningham talent-wise, physically, just athleticism and arm. Um, so that could be an interesting fit if they go in that direction. Don't have any inside info on it, but you know, people talk about Cristobal wanting this old-school pro-style offense. He had Satterfield at FIU, so I don't think he's married to any offensive philosophy in general. I think he wants to run the ball, which he should. He wants to have the ability to pound on people when the game is on the line like he did for a bit last week down the stretch. Um, I think those are some things he wants, but he's not married to any particular philosophy. And a guy like Satterfield makes some sense uh, if things were to play out that way and he were to get fired from Louisville despite a very prolific offense. All right, Canes856 wants to know, who's our best offensive coach? Uh, Mirabal's certainly a guy to listen to, to focus on given what he did at Oregon. You saw the guys that he recruited and developed. They were a great offensive line while he was there. They produced top 10 picks like Penny Sewell while he was there. And now he's left, but he left behind his guys. And that Oregon offensive line is arguably the best in the country right now. So he's shown he can build an elite offensive line and coach it as well uh, as he did you know, the prior, the prior years. So he's one. But I want to give some love to Kevin Smith, the running back coach. Ole Miss last year had three very prolific running backs, one of the best running attacks in the country. Uh, brought in Henry Parrish because he knew what he needed a running back, and Henry Parrish has delivered and, and been one of the better backs in the ACC, probably a top five back in the ACC, maybe not the top top, but you know in that five six range, I think he fits in. Um, and getting better, I think he needs more players. You get Kevin Smith, and I think he's able to acquire more players. Tremonte Citizen, I said before the season, if he didn't get hurt, I could have seen him starting. Um, and this is the time where you wish you had a guy like that. Uh, but I do like what Kevin Smith does, and he has a very good reputation as an evaluator, as a recruiter, um, and just as a no-nonsense guy. And now that recruiting is picking back up, coming up next, we're going to the bank. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Before we step into the bank and hear the latest on recruiting, I want to talk about my friends at Underdog Fantasy. We already got a few folks signed up and enjoying the games. $100 match on your deposit. So you step in there and you get free money to play with right away. If you've been following my picks, I had a tough week last week, one and two, dropped down to six and three. But still, if you're following these picks, you're making money. And if you're getting that the free deposit using the sign-up link, on the Canes Inside Forum, on this podcast, on Twitter, or if you're using promo code CIS, either one works, you are getting that $100 match. So get the free money, follow the picks, you're making money. Who doesn't want that? Or you can make your own picks, NFL, and uh, college football, NHL, NBA, MMA. They got it all. Daily fantasy, daily drafts every day. Don't have to worry about setting rosters, waivers, guys getting injured daily fantasy drafts pick a team at any one of those sports to see how you do or do what i like to do which is over unders on individual performances a game called pick them uh, that's what i've been playing and uh, this week i got a couple that i feel pretty good about we got garrett wilson from the new york jets i like him over uh 45 and a half receiving yards i think that team's going to be behind against those buffalo bills and they're going to need to throw the ball and i think he's going to make some plays he can separate like no other you got Aaron Jones for the Green Bay Packers, 92.5 rushing and receiving yards, like the over there against a Detroit team that really struggles on defense. 
that team's got to lean on the on the running game with Aaron Rodgers aging and bad receivers. I like Aaron Jones there over 92 and a half rushing and receiving. And then Ramondre Stevenson, 86 and a half rushing and receiving against Indiana. Uh, he's an emerging player, run and the pass, like what he's doing. Take those picks, go against those picks, make your own picks, post about them on the thread on canesinsight.com. CIS promo code or the link, $100. Underdog fantasy, best deal in town. All right. Now to the bank. Hermione McLean, huge commitment. Now you're starting to see the momentum flow back into Miami's corner. FSU weekend has been circled as a key weekend. I can tell you that there are surprise visitors that people know about, but you can't really say publicly. They'll get folks excited. But just the names you know and some names to focus on. I want to focus on receiver, Micah Mays, Benjamin, Wake Forest commit. They are selling him on being the next A.T. Perry, who is a Palm Beach product, went to Wake Forest, is now arguably the best receiver in the conference, future NFL player. They're telling him he could be the next A.T. Perry. Miami does not want to lose the next A.T. Perry to Wake Forest. They want to keep that guy in house. Because if you look at Miami and you look at the ACC, the best receivers in the ACC, Zay Flowers, Broward, A.T. Perry, Palm Beach, Aronde Gadsden, Broward, they left. Miami didn't get him, and now Miami has a receiver problem. They're trying to correct that with a guy like Micah Mays, 6'2", tremendous worker. He's the state champ in the 400 meters, state champ in the triple jump, uh, finished third in the high jump, and is having an ex- excellent senior year. His work ethic is starting to show as a route runner and a hands catcher. Um, they want him, and he'll be here on campus or at the stadium for the FSU game. They will put pressure for a commitment there, or they could get a commit from Tayshawn Lyons, uh, out of the Bay Area, uh, another track star wide receiver with some length, having an excellent senior year, four-star player. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to Notre Dame. It's really down to Notre Dame and Miami, but Miami likes him. Miami wants him. He will be at the FSU game at, as well. So look for one of those two names to potentially be added to this wide receiver class, joining Robbie Washington, joining Ray Ray Joseph, adding some length that those guys lack while still providing that track athleticism. Um, and catch, trying to catch a senior riser, the type of guys that Miami's been missing on because they haven't been paying attention to senior film. So I'd watch those two names. Um, as far as immediate, Ruben Bain, someone they're putting a lot of pressure on right now. They would love to add him to this class, put together a, a tandem with Jaden Wayne, who's maybe not the most polished pass rusher, but has length, size, and athleticism. Ruben Bain doesn't have the body of a Jaden Wayne, but is just a total technician at the high school level can use his hands, has more sacks than anyone in the country over the past two years. They would love to add him out of Miami Central, and he is the number one priority. I think at those two positions, receiver and edge, you're going to see big names down the stretch, Miami making a strong run, whether it's a Brandon Ennis, Nicholas Harbor, uh, Damon Wilson, guys of that tier, Sam and Pemba. Miami's going to push hard at the end. You saw that with Trevante Citizen last year. You saw that with Jaleel Skinner last year. Um, You saw that with Cyrus Moss. Miami has that ability. Cristobal has that ability. And I don't think anyone's doubting his closing ability after seeing what happened with Cormani McLean and Francis Malgoa. So I think with, it's a two-pronged approach to those positions. Land the, the targets in the short term, the guys, guys I just mentioned, the guys that will be at the stadium on Saturday, and then circle back on the big fish. Uh, another position you could say the same for is a cornerback. The, the immediate priorities right now, uh, Damari Brown, the big corner out of American Heritage. He is a Miami legacy. He really had a growth spurt up to 6'2 as a senior, having a great senior season. Uh, somebody with some size and, and ability. 
American Heritage is producing tremendous backs, uh, defensive backs. There's Pastor Tan, Tyson Campbell, uh, James Williams for the Canes has, has, has had his moments. Um, so that's a school that Marco Wilson, Quincy Wilson, NFL players, they've been producing NFL defensive backs. I would like to add that with Damari Brown, who is a Canes legacy. They lost his brother, Devontae Brown, to UCF who they wanted, probably one of the true recruiting losses to UCF, and Devontae Brown, one of the better corners in the country uh, at UCF. So Miami would like to rectify that with Damari Brown. He's on campus this week. Uh, look for Miami to push for a commitment. I, I like where Miami sits there. Other names at, at defense, at cornerback, in the immediate future, Jakeem Jackson out of, uh, out of uh, Osceola, Florida commit, uh, Sharif Denson out of Bartram Trail in Jacksonville, another Florida commit, big corners with ability. Miami likes both those guys. I think out of those three big corners I just listed, Miami will take one. My pick would probably be Damari Brown, but all three of those guys are legitimately in play, even though two of them are committed to the Florida Gators. Um, a name that they could circle back to at corner, put him in the Brandon Innes category, put him in the Damon Wilson, Nicholas Harbor category. Um, I would say Dalen Austin, a California kid committed to LSU. They think he is a tre you know, tremendous player, an impact guy, premier guy, and they are recruiting him hard. Uh, not a guarantee by any means, but they are they are working that angle. Um, offensive line, all about Samson Okunlola. That one, you never know when he's going to pop. That's what I've been told from the beginning is no one really has a sense for his decision timeline. I suspect he'll probably try to string it out a little bit just because he's a guy that looks at himself like a brand. He has very, a very business-like mentality, um, and he's going to maximize his opportunities and, and really see what's out there. But Miami sits in a very good spot, constant communication with him, um, nothing to reduce their confidence level since they got all the crystal balls from recruiting analysts that he was going to come to the University of Miami. Um, defensive tackle, Josh Horton, a UNC commit, came down for the uh, Duke game, was not dissuaded by that terrible performance, still likes Miami a lot. He's a 4.0 GPA kid, 6'4", 293, 80-inch wingspan. I heard he's just a great character guy, which is unusual at defensive tackle sometimes along with the length, athleticism, and, and, and body type that you need at that position is hard to find. So he's a guy they really like, committed to UNC, UNC Watson, but they're working hard for a flip, kind of like they just did with Caleb Spencer, the safety slash linebacker um, out of Virginia, who they were able to flip from Oklahoma. So look for that. Stan Quan Clark, Louisville commit, going to continue to work him out of Miami Central. Expect him at the game on Saturday. He's part of a giant commitment list or uh, visit list for the FSU game. They'll be targeting him hard. And, uh, you know, safety, Caleb Spencer will start out at safety. He has a chance to stick there, although he is 6'3", 210 pounds. Who knows where his body ends up. Conrad Hussey is a name they've been working. He's, he looks solid to Penn State right now, but they'll keep working that one. And then don't be surprised if one of these big corners grows into a safety. They'll see who, who it is. They don't know until they get here, but they could always move one of those big guys to safety, and I think that's the mindset of the team. So, again, with the bank, focus on those names in the short term. But long-term, expect a crazy December with a lot of big names emerging. Nothing's off limits when Miami's signing guys from Samoa and Lakeland like they're doing at that five-star level. They can do anything. Stay tuned to Kane's Insight. Keep refreshing because it is refresh season, November, December. Nothing like it. The information is going to be coming fast and furious. The sources, the second cousins, the friend of a friend of a friends, they're going to be coming out of the woodwork uh, the next two months. And occasionally they're right. So you guys just read all the posts and, uh, and check it out on canesinsight.com. Go Canes, beat FSU.